So the guys got a, a, a few footage of me this week as I was uh, hanging out. And... Hey, it's great to be with you today. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. Why don't you go ahead and grab your notes out of your handout, and you will see that we are continuing a series called You're Stronger Than You Think. And today, um, we want to unpack a, a passage of Scripture which has to do with Jonathan and his armor bearer taking a risk. And so that's why the video, all kinds of things that are incredibly risky, and yet um, as uh, these guys have gone after it, you, this incredible glory is released through that. And, and, and just so you know, we're, we're, every week we're kind of unpacking something different, a, a nuance of this premise that you are stronger than you think. Now, here we are. We're at the end of January, and it, it, this is my strong inclination, that already there's something in your life that you've given up on in the year 2014, my strong inclination is you started the year, you thought, you know what, this is the year that I'm going to, you know, fill in the blank, get in shape. But here we are, 20-some days into it, you're like, oh, you know what, 2015 sounds good for that goal, right? Some of you are like, you know what, this is the year that we are going to get our finances under control. And a couple of weeks in, you're like, ah, forget it, it's just too big. For some of you, again, I don't even want to guess what it might be, so you fill it in. What is that one thing that when I bring it up, that's what God brings to your mind? It's that behavior you keep going back to. It's, it's that thought process you keep delving into. It, it, it's that thing that keeps drawing you back again and again, that thing that keeps you feeling oppressed. And I just want you to understand you are stronger than you think. Now, here's what the scripture says in Psalm 89. We took a look at this last week. It'll undergird the entire series. This is talking to the Lord. It says, Lord, you are their glorious strength. It pleases you, Lord, to make us strong. So when Pastor Mike says that you are stronger than you think, I want you to understand what I'm saying. I'm saying the Lord is your strength. I'm saying that you are stronger than you think because the Lord is your strength, because he has made you strong, and it gives him delight to pour his strength into your life. So you are much stronger than you think. You and I, we sell ourselves short all the time, and God wants his strength to flow through our lives for our victory, for his glory. And so that's what we're going to take a look at this passage of Scripture today. It's in 1 Samuel 14. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up, follow along, 1 Samuel 14. The verses will be on the screen as well. They're on your notes. And, and we're going to unpack this passage of Scripture about a man named Jonathan. Jonathan is actually the prince of Israel. His dad's the king, King Saul. And we see that Israel, once again, is in a state of warfare, high alert, they have been invaded again, this time by the Philistines. Last week we talked about how the Midianites came in. Gideon was the hero that saved them. Now we're talking about the Philistines, and they've come in. And, and the Philistines have invaded in greater numbers. They're, they're better supplied than the Israel army. And King Saul has gathered his army, and they're kind of just hanging out. It's that calm before the storm kind of a feeling. All of the Israelites know something bad's going to happen. They all feel it in their gut. And, and Jonathan's one of those. Right? He's, a, he's a, maybe a, a, an officer in the army. And, and so Jonathan's there as well. And we're going to take a look at what Jonathan does. Okay, we'll start in verse 1. It says, one day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, 
Let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Um, That actually makes perfect sense to me because I am a father. And uh, if you're going to do something crazy, um, what you don't do is tell your father. Uh, This is so much different than saying, hey, dad, I'm going to the mall with my armor bearer. I'll see you at six, you know. This is much more like, hey, dad, I'm going to go confront the enemy with my armor bearer. I'll see you in heaven. You know, like it's a, it's a much more risky prospect that we're talking about with Jonathan. And so he didn't tell his dad. Now it goes on. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. That just means that this was the man who was playing the priestly role in this scenario. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. So that's the ephod that, he, that he's cemented as the religious figure there. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. He had not informed anyone. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff, one called Bozes and the other Sene. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Now, a couple of things I want to point out from this passage. The first is there's a lot of information just about the topography of the land where the cliffs were, what they were called, which, what they faced, and, and where they were located. And, and the reason why I find this incredibly interesting is because if you go to Israel and you journey through the land, what you will see is the exact same topography. The cliffs are still there. The valleys mentioned in Scripture are still there. It cements the things that we're reading in Scripture into history. And it's an incredible faith bolster. It it, it is so amazing to understand that I don't have to imagine the things that I'm reading in the text because I can actually picture them in my mind. It it happened. There's geography and topography that that is undergirding this thing. Uh, The second thing that I want you to see, you might even want to circle the word, is in the first line of that passage, it says, Saul was staying. It was a problem. Saul was staying. He wasn't moving. He was staying. And he and his men, they're they're hanging out. They're camped out. They're hanging out in the shade of a pomegranate tree, just twiddling their thumbs, just waiting. They didn't have a plan. They didn't understand what was next and what was going to happen. And so they're just staying. It's a horribly difficult place to be. And it brings us to the first question. Again, I don't know what you're facing in your life, but the first question that we have to ask ourselves, am I ready to do something? Am I just staying, or am I ready to do something? Anything, am I ready to take a step? Am I ready to get out of my comfort zone? Am I ready to to, to make this risky move so that I can address this issue? And, And I just wanna ask you, friends, what is it that you're putting off? What is it that you keep stiff-arming? What is it that you're hesitant to face? Have courage. You are stronger than you think. You look at King Saul, and you realize he wasn't ready to do anything, but his son Jonathan was like, let's get started. Let's tackle this thing. I want to tell you that there is profound power and encouragement in simply identifying this 
is a situation that needs to be addressed, and I am ready to address it. There's so much power released in simply saying, this is what I need to focus on, and I am ready to focus on that, okay? And that's where Jonathan was. So we keep reading in verse six. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So you look at that passage, you see what Jonathan is saying essentially is this. Come on, let's go pick a fight. Maybe God will help us, okay? And it's an incredible risk, right? He's taking this incredible step of faith. He's saying, let's do something. Let's make something happen. I'm sick of waiting around. If I have to play a role, let me play the role of a pebble that starts an avalanche. That's what I want to do. Okay? He's ready. Now, a couple of things I also want you to see from this passage of Scripture. Who was in charge of the Israelite army? It was King Saul. Jonathan wasn't content to stay. But notice what he did not do. He didn't begin to complain about his father's lack of action. He he didn't think it was his role to begin to talk bad about how the king was making his decisions. Now, I say this because I want to just make it personal for you. We are so tempted to do exactly that. Maybe you've got a boss and, and, and you're, you're, you're maybe unhappy with the actions that they're taking or the inaction that they're taking. And so what do you do? You want to get back into a complain mode. Oh, if I were in charge, I would do this. Oh, how come they're not doing this? What an incredible waste of opportunity. What an incredible waste of resources. And we just nag and we pick and we complain. What Jonathan did was act. He did what he could. He didn't think it was his role to complain. How about with uh, maybe your parents? I don't know, you know, I'm not a teenager. That's good to hear your lead pastor's not a teenager, I, you know, but when I was a teenager, I complained all the time about my parents. Oh, how come they're like this? Oh, my dad doesn't even know. He is king dork, you know? Like I just was always, you know what? Don't complain about your parents. Act. Do what you can do. Don't think it's your role to complain, belittle, run down. How about spouses? How many of us, we sit back, we're like, if our spouse would just do this, if my spouse would just, why, my, my spouse never does, so frustrating, how come my spouse isn't taking action? How come they're acting like this? Instead, do what you can do. You be the you that God wants you to be. You be ready to do something, the something you can do, what's in your power to do, and notice how it changes everything else. That's what Jonathan did. It's not his role to run Saul down. It's his role to do what he can do. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. It sounds like it may, maybe it doesn't. So the next thing I want you to see is this. Jonathan's doing something that is way out of the box. This has not happened heretofore in the Israelite army. Under King Saul's leadership, this idea of a man in his armor bearer going against the garrison of the enemy, it's, just, it's unheard of. Now, I want you to understand what happens when you do something that's unheard of. Everyone you talk to will tell you that's unheard of, okay? Everyone you talk to, if you're trying to do something new, everyone you talk to will tell you, we've never done it that way before. Can I get an amen? 
It always happens that way. People will want to inform you again and again and again. You cannot do that. It's not done that way. We've never done it that way before. If that's coming up in your life, you need to answer, but I've never tried it yet. I had a roommate in college. He was just so, this guy was so funny. Cracked me up all the time. I'd pitch these ideas to him all the time, and he'd say, Mike, that is a good idea, but unfortunately, that's a new idea. Therefore, we fear it and naturally must reject it. And so I want you to understand, this will happen in your organization. It will happen in your workplace. It will happen in your home. We don't do things that way. I want you to understand, God is about doing a new thing. And he might be about doing a new thing through you. So be ready to do something. That's what Jonathan was. Now, there's one other aspect of this. And I want you just to hear this in terms of how it applies to your life. If someone was speaking advice into Jonathan's life in this moment, they would have pointed out all of the ways that he was about to fail. They would have wanted to make sure, because they love him and they, they, they want to have prudence reign today, they would have pointed out all of his limitations. Now let me tell you something, friends. Knowing your limitations is a sure way of living underneath them. You and I are the ones that put a glass ceiling on our lives. You know your limitations, and then suddenly you are limited. And I, just, I keep this in mind. Now, I, I want to give you an example of this. It was an example. I had to interview my dad for this story. My dad retired as a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. And when Desert Storm was around... Uh, during that operation, before my dad was deployed to Desert Storm, he was running some operations in the desert here in California, and he was working under Major General Mahoney. And my dad was given a specific assignment. He was an engineer, and my dad had to install Harrier landing pads in the desert. Now, if you understand what a Harrier is, it's a jet, but it's a very unique jet because it takes off and it lands vertically like a helicopter. So it takes off vertically, then it starts to fly. When it's landing, it you know, comes over the landing pad and then lands just straight down. And so my dad was, he was tasked with putting in these Harrier landing pads in the desert, and the general gave him a, an operating window. My dad was to install them within four hours, which is great, except for the fact that up until this point, Harrier landing pads had been installed in the military all over the world, and it was standard operating practice that they took 96 hours to install. The reason why they took this long is because you had to clear the land, get it level, you had to big, dig huge cavities at each end of the landing pad, and then pour cement in there and let the cement cure. Those were the anchors called dead men. Then at intervals, you had to drill this huge spike. It was about 10, 12 feet down in order to make sure that the landing pad didn't fly up. Um, you couldn't just land on the desert because all the sand would kick up and go into the jets. That would ruin the engine. And so all these things and, uh, to consider. And so my dad, Lieutenant Colonel Howerton, he got on the horn and he talked to every expert, every commanding officer in the nation to see what kind of time-saving device they could offer him. And he was told by every officer to a person, it takes 96 hours. So my dad took the, uh, you know, the protocol, and he went and he found a young guy, a first lieutenant engineer, 
named Bob Glisson. He said, hey, Bob, we are going to install these Harrier landing pads, and we're going to do them under four hours. And he gave them the, you know, the specs. And so this young engineer said, all right, let's do it. So he came up with a strategy how to load the trucks and how to pour the cement and who they got doing the different uh, activities right when they arrive on the site. And so they, they planned it all out and then they rehearsed it and then they hit the ground and they went through the desert. They arrived at the location and they cleared it and they put the landing pad in and they landed the first aircraft in one hour and 56 minutes. It went from 96 hours to one hour and 56 minutes. My dad told me the key was finding a young guy who didn't know it took 96 hours. <laughs> now today, the military installs their Harrier landing pads by this protocol. All because he didn't know his limitations. Friends, you and I are the ones who put limits on our lives. We're the ones who shut ourselves down again and again and again. Who knows, Jonathan said, maybe the Lord will be with us, right? He had this open heart and this free spirit. He knew by faith the Lord can save with many or with few. Who knows, God might show up and work through you. Who knows, God might show up with much dollars or, or no dollars, God might show up and provide. Who knows, with great strength or with little strength, God can save. I'll do this thing. Do you understand? You and I cannot listen to our limitations. That's the second question, by the way. Am I listening to my limitations? Am I letting what's been done before stop me from doing this new thing? Am I letting what others say stop me from doing this thing that I feel called to do? It's safe to say that Jonathan was not listening to his limitations. He was saying, let's go pick a fight. Maybe God will help. Are you with me? And this is the response he got in 1 Samuel 14, 7. It says, do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Okay. Now, many of you know the story of Jonathan and his friendship with David. David was the next king of Israel. We don't have a glimpse into how Jonathan would have handled the kingship. But we do have many glimpses from Scripture into his character. And by looking at his character, I, I just want to contend that I believe Jonathan would have been among the very greatest kings ever to live on planet Earth. When I see his incredible loyalty to David and his sacrifice for his nation, when I see his humility and strength, his passion for Israel and for the Lord, his warrior spirit, yet not at all concerned for his own glory, I have no hesitation in arguing that he would be a great king and leader of a nation, certainly a better king than his father Saul. But I want you to see, even in this verse, what is revealed about his leadership. He says, come on, let's pick a fight. Maybe God will help. And the armor bearer says, I am with you, heart and soul. That's powerful, right? It's powerful. He had a, this ability to propel others towards greatness and to instill this confidence. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, next verse. Jonathan said, come on then. We will cross over toward them and let them see us. Now, this is where I begin to doubt his military expertise. We will let them see us. I, you know, I can think of a couple of battle plans right off the bat that might be a little sharper than, hi guys, here we are. 
But that's Jonathan's plan, okay? And, and, and it's sort of a scary plan. Now, there's one other piece of information that you need to know about this battle that's looming between the Philistines and the Israelite army, okay? And it's this. It's found in the chapter previous. It says, there were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear that they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. So on the day of the battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or a spear except for Saul and Jonathan. In military terms, that's called bummer, okay? It's a bummer. You got the whole army gathered right there. It's like, um, how many swords do we have? Well, Jonathan has one and Saul has one. Uh, and they have an armor bearer. So actually, the armor bearer is bearing the armor. But, uh, but that's it. You know, maybe some other guy has, you know, brought a plow, uh, some farm equipment. This guy brought a shovel. This guy brought a, uh, some plastic sporks from Taco Bell on the way. You know, this guy brought a feather. They're like, why'd you bring a feather? He's like, uh, some people don't like to be tickled. <laughs> We're going to die. You know, like everyone. They, they just, there's this incredible lopsided reality to the battle that's about to be fought, right? And, and, and it's in the midst of this scenario where there are no weapons in the nation of Israel that Jonathan and his armor bearer, his armor bearer carrying the sword, that they say, hey, let's go against this garrison by ourselves. Maybe God will help us. And again, I just, I want to kind of go common sense, right? If you and I are common sense and we're buddies with Jonathan, what are you going to say to him right now? Don't do it, man. Don't, don't do it. This is not going to turn out well. Listen, you don't even know the latest guerrilla warfare techniques. There's this thing, you, you might have heard of it, it's called ambush. Like, let's do something like that. Don't just show up and, hey, here we are. This is not going to turn out well. You would have been very quick to point out his limitations, but even if you were, I, I just sense from this passage of Scripture that Jonathan would have been deaf to them. It's just the kind of person that he was. And, and I want to give you a modern-day example of what it looks like when someone remains deaf to their limitations and how beautiful that can be. Go ahead and watch this video. They told me it couldn't be done. But I was the lost cause. I was picked on and picked last. Coach didn't know how to talk to me. They gave up on me. Told me I should just quit. Don't move until I move. Don't move until I move. And the last pick is. They didn't call my name told me it was over. But I've been deaf since I was three. So I didn't listen. And now I'm here with a lot of fans in the NFL cheering me on. And I can hear them all. But I've been deaf since I was three, so I didn't listen. <laughs> it's a great line. Yeah, what, what happens when someone like Derek Coleman chooses not to listen to their limitations is they inspire everyone else. 
So some of you know this. He got a letter this week from a, from a young girl, nine years old. She says, my inspiration, dear Derek Coleman, I know how you feel. I also have hearing aids. Just try your best. <laughs> I have faith in you. <laughs> Derek, good job on January 20th game. Go Seattle Seahawks. Here are some things we have in common. I wear two hearing aids. I love sports. Other things are I'm an identical twin, and my twin wears one hearing aid too. Now, some of you even know that the story continues because Derek Coleman wrote her a letter back, and it's very encouraging, and it's very inspiring, and you can find it online, I'm sure. And the reason why he wrote her a letter back is because he's a Seattle Seahawk, And as such, filled with the Holy Spirit of the Lord. So, <laughs> Next week is going to be so fun, you guys. We're going to have so much fun. But this goes back to that armor bearer moment with Jonathan, right? There's something about Jonathan that was, that was fearless and limitless. There was something about Jonathan that said, I, I understand the reality that we're facing, and I will not let that define my limitations. And when Derek Coleman does that, he inspires others. When Jonathan does that, he inspires his armor bearer. I am with you, heart and soul. Have you ever thought about why a, a testimony at Celebrate Recovery is so powerful? It's because someone stands up humbly, often through tears, and and says, look, I know what it's like to think you can't do it. And I know what it's like to have other people say, you can't do it. But I am here to tell you, you can do it because you are stronger than you think. And that's what we see in Jonathan and... And that's what we see in in, in guys like Derek Coleman. Friends, that's what is available to be released through you and through me when we refuse to listen to our limitations. So this is is what happens. Jonathan says, okay, here's the deal. His armor bearer is going to go with him. Jonathan says, if they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up. Because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Uh, Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Good news. They want us to climb up and fight them, right? And, and the armor bearer's like, hey, whatever you say, man. Whatever, that's cool. Now, I want you to see this. Jonathan had set up a scenario where if they ask him to climb up, he would consider that the sign from God that God had delivered the victory to them. And when they said, climb up, He said, great news, the battle is ours, God has given us victory. Now, I want to ask this question, you can fill in the blank, and it's a little bit of a stretch, but I think it makes perfect sense here. The question is, where do I get my encouragement? And the reason why I think this is an appropriate question is because Jonathan had to be receiving his encouragement from the Lord. 
How can I say this with confidence? I can say this because there was nothing encouraging about the situation. There's nothing encouraging about the circumstance, and that's the whole point. Friends, there is going to be so much you face in the year 2014 that is not encouraging at all. And the question is, where are you going to look for your encouragement? Where are you going to draw strength from? Who are you going to listen to in those moments when there's nothing inherently encouraging about what you're facing right now? Where are you going to go for strength and courage? See, you and I are so tempted to go limiting and self-defeating. We say, I can't figure it out. But God says, I will direct your steps. We say, I'm too tired, but God says, I will give you rest. We say it's impossible, but God says, all things are possible. We say, nobody loves me, but God says, I love you. We say, I can't forgive myself. God says, I forgive you. We say, I'm not smart enough. God says, I will give you wisdom. We say, I'm not able. God says, I am. We say, I can't go on. God says, my grace is sufficient. We say, I can't manage. God says, I will supply all your needs. We say, I'm afraid. God says, I have not given you fear. We say, I feel alone. God says, I will never leave you. Friends, we have to receive our encouragement from the Lord because there will be time and time again when what we see in front of us will not be encouraging at all. And in those moments, we draw strength and we draw courage from the Lord God Almighty and from his truth about you and I spoken through his word. We have to go back to the Lord and draw our strength and courage from him. And that's what Jonathan was doing. The next verse, 13. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. Now, I just want you to picture this. So, Who's got the sword? The armor bearer has a sword. How can I say that? Well, it's his name, the armor bearer, right? So he's bearing armor so that Jonathan wouldn't have to. So Jonathan climbs up with his hands and feet, climbs up the, the very steep cliff, and the Philistine garrison is on the top, and it reminds me of that scene from The Princess Bride when Inigo Montoya has to climb, you know, the, the, and then they're just waiting up there to, to pummel them, right? And, and that's the scenario. And then it says, the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field, and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Friends, we do the possible. We do what we can do. Are you ready to do something? We do what we can do. And then God shows up and he does the impossible. Right? Jonathan was, he was willing. He was ready. He was, he was committed. In fact, I want you to note that, that Jonathan was not only committed, he was committed fully, was he not? He was ready to do something. And in this particular instance, it could have been, it, it could have been the end of Jonathan. He absolutely put himself on the line. He committed himself 100%. His armor bearer committed 100%. And in their commitment, the Lord met them and poured strength and courage and victory through. And the question that I want to ask you, the question we have to ask ourselves when we're facing these different scenarios, have I committed myself fully? Or am I still wishy-washy about this thing? Have I decided or am I in the process of decision? Right? 
Friends, I, I just want you to understand, when we him and we haul, uh, yes, I want to follow you, Lord. No, I'm not going to follow you in this instance. Yes, I want to deal with that problem. No, I don't really want to deal with that problem. Yes, I want to break through isolation. No, I don't. I still like being isolated. Yes, I want to take care of this. No, I really don't want to take Do you see, we're always in that sort of, ah. And when we commit ourselves fully, God shows up and comes with us. I found this incredible quote. It's from W.H. Uh, Murray, The Scottish Himalayan Expedition. And he writes, until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back always in effectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative, there is one elemental truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans, that the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no man could have dreamt would come his way. I want you to notice this. It happens again and again and again. I, I, there, in this room right now, there are, I bet, a million stories of how once we committed ourselves to a course of action, the Lord met us and came with us. His strength flowed through us and there was victory. But I want you to note about the passage of scripture, God did not move until Jonathan did. But when Jonathan moved, God moved too. Jonathan did what he could do. He climbed the cliff. He started a fight. The Lord came with the panic. The Lord came with the rout. The victory then was the Lord's. The glory then goes to the Lord. That's why it says at the end of this passage, verse 23, so on that day, the Lord saved Israel. Who saved Israel? It was the Lord. The Lord saved Israel. Jonathan moved, and God used his commitment to move, his, his readiness to do something. He used his refusal to listen to his limitations. He, he, he used that commitment in Jonathan to bring a great victory on that day to Israel. And I just want you to see this. It was because Jonathan was willing to take a risk for the Lord. This was not just a risk for risk's sake. It, it was a risk for life's sake. It was a risk for heaven's sake. It was a risk for the kingdom's sake. And when we're ready to take a risk like that, the Lord meets us in it and pours his strength and his courage through us. Zechariah 4, 6 says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Friends, you are more courageous than you think. You are more steadfast than you think. You are stronger than you think. You are wiser than you think. And, and you're, you're all of these things, not on your own, but because the Lord himself moves through you. And so I just want to ask you these questions. Are you ready to do something? Are you listening to your limitations? Where is it that you're going for your encouragement? And are you fully committed? Because friends, it's time to take a risk. Maybe for you it's, it's taking a risk to, to speak a word of peace over a conversation that's escalating. Maybe for you it's time to take a risk to move towards generosity and commitment with your finances. Maybe for you, you're afraid that you're gonna end up exactly like your parents, and so it's time to take a risk and chart a different course. 
Maybe for some of you, you're afraid. If people really knew me, they would reject me, and it's time to take a risk and be known. Maybe for you, it's, you're wondering, am I gonna be pessimistic and down forever and ever? And it's a time to take a risk and step into joy. Maybe for you, you're thinking, am I really gonna spend another year in loneliness and isolation? It's time to take a risk and to get into a life group. Maybe there's somebody here who believes that you're gonna be an addict forever. And I just want you to get your encouragement from the Lord today. Take a risk and step into wholeness and support and sobriety. Friends, you are stronger than you think. And it's because of the way God has made you, and it's because the power of Jesus Christ dwelling within you. And that's why I want to close with this passage. It's the Apostle Paul writing in Philippians 4.13. Many of you know this by heart. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray together. Lord, we believe that that's true. We declare that it's true. We, we actually are telling ourselves right now that, that we believe this is true. We believe that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Jesus, it's your strength that pours in us. It's your power working through us. And, and so right now, Lord, we confess that we need your help. Jesus, would you bring to mind that situation that's weighing most heavily on us? Would you bring to mind that relationship? Would you bring to mind that temptation to sin? Would you bring to mind that circumstance that feels too difficult to manage? Lord Jesus, what we want to do is we want to, we want to see that scenario. We want to recognize it as the enemy that it is, and we want to offer it to you. And Jesus, we declare to you today that we are ready to do something about it, that we refuse to listen to our limitations, that we will receive encouragement from you and you alone, and we are fully committed to tackling this issue. We declare this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen.